When I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest him. You know, we looked at this psalm last week and we do acknowledge that this is a psalm where David stands in awe at the wonder of God's creation. It, as we would say in Northern Ireland, just blows his mind when he looks at all around him at the universe and the animals, the plantations, the, the rivers, everything. And then he asks the question, what is man? And that's what we want to look at. What is man? So to help us, we ask some questions. We ask, what is man? Why is he here? What is his duty to the Lord? And ultimately, what is his destiny? And we found through the scriptures that man indeed was a created being. He didn't evolve. He is a created being. And that God created them, man and woman. God created them so that they could have fellowship with him in the Garden of Eden. But they lost that fellowship through their sin. Man's duty to God was to bring glory to God. Man was created to bring glory to God and to enjoy the Lord. <clears throat> and we established that, unfortunately, because of sin, man's destiny was to die. But that was not the end, because when Christ returns, the dead in Christ will rise. And you know, when you're looking at a doctrine like this, I think you need to make sure that one, you're not following tradition, and two, you're not making your doctrine by taking a chapter, by taking a verse, or line even, out of context. And so, you know, I spoke in the illustration I gave was the statue, which maybe not so much now, but used to be at the front on the, the, the roof of courthouses. And it was a statue of a lady who I was told during the week was meant to be Britannia. And they're holding scales. And one side of the scales is lower than the other. And that's just to let you know that the evidence against someone must outweigh the evidence for someone. And if it doesn't, then they cannot be found guilty. And so we need to make sure that the evidence that we present to you tonight, or to this morning, sorry, from the Word of God, outweighs any other evidence that people might give. But you have to be careful, because people can take a verse and make a teaching or a doctrine out of it. And there's a little example. Can you read that? Yes. So the man is asking his wife, where in the Bible does it say it's a man's job to wash dishes? And she replies, in 2 Kings 21, verse 13 says, and I will wipe Jerusalem as a man wipeth a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. Now, don't worry, brethren, it doesn't say that. <laughs> so relax, uh, it doesn't mean that. It's, but you can see, I know I'm being a bit frivolous here, but people can take a verse, this one in its true context, although we're not preaching in this. Uh, Samaria was taken, pillaged, and ruined, and its inhabitants were led into captivity. And it said that Jerusalem would have the same measure. And the plummet of the house of Ahab, well, Ahab will be totally destroyed, and not a man of, a, of his seed will, will last or ever sit again upon the throne of Israel. So this is basically saying that Jerusalem will suffer the same fate as Samaria. Now, as for this, I had to show Pastor Peter this because he didn't know this verse was in the Bible. 
I will wipe Jerusalem as a man wipeth a dish. Uh, the Vulgate translates this, I will blot out Jerusalem as tablets are wont to be blotted out. So this is a little metaphor. And back in these days, they'd have had a plate or a dish or a tablet and they would have put wax on it. And they put the wax on it so when they wrote something uh, and they'd seen it, they'd read it, they wanted to change it, they just used to wipe it so that the wax could be wrote on again. And so this is what that verse is talking about. It's not talking, brethren, that you have to go home today and wash the dishes because it's in the Bible. That's what that's referring to. And you know, although I know it's a bit frivolous that, but we need to make sure that we don't just have one verse. And that's why this morning, I'm actually going to quote quite a lot of verses. And uh, so uh, again, I let the Bible speak for itself. And if you want, I do have a copy of all the verses I quote this morning. And if you want one, just let me know and I'll print you off a copy or give me your email address and I'll forward you a copy. So we need to be careful. Again, another perfect example, which you all know, is that people say money is the root of all evil and it's in the Bible. A lot of people have told me that and they're very confused when I say to them, actually it's not. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. And so men have used that again and taken it out of context. So let's look at what is man. We saw that it was appointed unto man once to die. So we now ask them, what happens? What happens to us when a man or a woman dies? You, you can see different reports in social media, and uh, I've seen it in television programs where they bring this individual on, and they were on an operating table, and their soul left the body, and you hear all stories. What actually does happen? Well, I mean, a lot of that, from a, uh, a psychology point of view, is what's called suggestion. Uh, when people believe these things, their soul didn't leave the body. They dreamt that, and that's how I would answer that. But you see, many religions believe in the immortality of the soul, an immortal life for the human being. Hindus believe that if you have lived a good life, you'll come back in a, in a higher rank, as it were, or a better situation that you were in. If you were bad, then you'll come back. You could even come back as an animal. And so this is what they believe. We know Muslims believe that they uh, ascend into paradise, uh, particularly if they have done a great sacrifice uh, for Allah. And so all these religions, you go through them all throughout the world, and they all believe that man uh, his, the spirit leaves him, as it were, uh, at death. And we've seen from Genesis 3 that that is not what man is. Man isn't a tripartite being. Uh, man was made from the dust, and when the breath of life was breathed into him, he became a living soul. And the Hebrew word soul means he became alive. That's all it means. It's not a separate entity in your body. So we need to look, do men go to heaven, paradise, or somewhere where they will be rewarded for their good deeds or sacrifices or their religiousness. You see, to them, death is a reward. They believe that as they go through life, if they serve their God, if they do a great deed, that they will be rewarded by being transcended to a better place. What actually does the Bible tell us about those who are dead? Well, in Genesis 3, 19, <clears throat> it tells us, in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thy return unto the ground, 
for out of it was thy taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust thy shalt return. That, folks, is just as plain as we can make it. You see, the Bible, as we've seen, presents death as something that is unnatural. In other words, wasn't meant to be. Something that God didn't want to happen. But sadly, because of our sin, it was necessary. We looked and we've seen that God takes no pleasure in death because death is a result of sin. And death, according to the Bible, is an enemy. It tells, tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 26, beautiful chapter, you go home and read it. Uh, it'll help you in your study of what is man. And it says, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. And you know, when I read that, I understand that death is an enemy. Death isn't a reward. And I look at the Bible, and I look at how they dealt with death, and I thought about David. We know that he uh, slept with Bathsheba, and they had a child. And we know that the child was ill, and the child was suffering, and David mourned, and they were afraid to go in and tell him that the child had died. And when he went in to tell him, his words were, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And when I read that, I would suggest David, who was a man after God's own heart, if he believed that this young child is suffering no more, that he's up in heaven and glory, why would David mourn? Why did he put on sackcloth, cover his face in dust, and they mourned for so many, I can't remember how long they mourned, but they mourned for so many deaths. When Abraham died, they mourned. When Joseph died, they mourned for so many deaths. Why would you be depressed? If you thought your loved one, who you may be seen suffering coming up to their death, why would you mourn when you think they're up in heaven, there's no more pain, they're up and there in glory? But you see, nowhere in the Bible does it suggest that. People who died were mourned. In other words, they were missed. They were loved and they were gone. You see, the Bible refers to death as sleep. Death as sleep. There's quite a few verses, but again, like I said to you, to prove something, you need to have more than one verse. So I'll just show you these verses. There we have talking about David. It says in 1 Kings 2 and 10, David slept with his fathers. Now, David was a man after God's own heart. Surely above anyone, it was to go to heaven, would it not have been David? Then we see his son. Solomon slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, his father. So Solomon, again, slept with his fathers. We go down unto Jeroboam. Jeroboam, he, uh, he reigned uh, 22 years and he slept with his fathers. That's Jeroboam. We go to Rehoboam. Rehoboam slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. We go to Abijam. He slept with his fathers and they buried him again in the city of David. We go to Asa and Asa slept with his fathers. We go to Omri. Omri slept with his fathers. We go to Manasseh and Manasseh, Manasseh slept with his fathers and was buried in the garden of his own house. So we see, and there are many more verses I could give you there, which refers to those who are dead, that they slept with their fathers. They slept with their fathers. But then Daniel, he helps us, because he goes on to tell us 
where the dead rest in their sleep. And he confirms what God told Adam. Daniel 12 and 2, and it says, And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to everlasting contempt. The verse we quoted last week, Ecclesiastes 12 and 7, again confirms what Daniel said, confirms what the Lord told Adam and Eve. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. Now we spoke about this last week, that word spirit is rock, and it means for air, uh, air for breathing, or air that it, uh, is breathed. And we've seen that it means life. The breath of life that God gave returns to God. So we see this, and we have these verses, which tell us that when we die, we enter into our sleep. And we'll look at this in more detail, uh, the word shield, uh, over the next week or so. But we enter into our rest because we are mortal. And that's the big thing we need to understand and we need to accept and we need to refuse to accept Satan's lies. We are mortal. Again, I told you 1 Corinthians 15, that wonderful chapter when Paul talks about how this mortal shall put on immortality, how this corruptible shall put on incorruption. When was Paul talking about that this would happen? Not the moment we die. The moment the Lord returns to earth. He spoke about death as a twinkling of an eye, a blink. But <clears throat> he spoke about when this mortal shall do it, when the Lord comes back. Again, a chapter I quote very often, First Thessalonians 4. Again, these people were being martyred for their faith. And he was telling them, look, we're not as those who have no hope because the Lord will return and the dead in Christ shall rise. If they were being martyred as modern day or even old religion would have taught them, then they would have went straight to heaven. And a lot of Christians did believe that in the early days, uh, particularly when, when, when Rome ruled over them. There's actually a, a historical document that uh, Nero was in his house and I don't know whether he had friends or whatnot over, but he persecuted Christians horrendously. We know that. But he was disturbed by a Christian banging on his door. And he got one of the guards or one of his officers or whatever it was to go out and see what on earth this man wanted. And this man wanted the Romans to kill him because he believed that he was going to heaven. Now, in our language, I can't remember the exact words, but Nero told his officer to tell him to clear off. But he refused to go away, so he sent down one of his soldiers, and he ran him through with a sword, and he died. And the sad thing is, many people believed that they were going to go straight to heaven and did sacrifice themselves, as it were, in the hope that they were immortal and that they would go straight to heaven. But that's not what the Word of God teaches as I've said to you, down through time, pagan beliefs have crept into Christianity. And again, again, my opinion, the Nicene Council uh, adopted a lot of these uh, traditions uh, as biblical. And sadly, the church today also accepts them. You know, it was great what Martin Luther done. But you know, when Martin Luther came out of the Roman Catholic Church at that time, he held on to a lot of their doctrines. He believed in transubstantiation transubstantiation and things like that. He did not believe in justification by works and we know that's why he came out. It was justification by faith. But a lot of the traditions stayed 
and were passed on to the church and have today been accepted as biblical. Now we can go to what some claim to be the oldest book in the Bible, and that's the book of Job. And Job 7, 21 tells us something. And again, this was a godly man, recognized even by Satan as a godly man. And it tells us, and why dost thou not pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? For now I shall sleep in the dust, and thou shalt seek me in the morning, but I shall not be. So there's Job telling us that he will sleep in the dust. And in fact, again, another verse I quote often, Job 19, 26. He says that I know that my Redeemer lives and he shall stand on the last day upon this earth. And in my, with my eyes I shall see him and my flesh I shall behold him. When? On the last day. Surely Job again, like David, if men had uh, immortality and went straight to heaven, Job would have been there up in glory, as they say. But he wasn't. He was sleeping in the dust. So what happens to us, as I said, when we die? Well, death or sleep, it speaks of unconsciousness. Ecclesiastes 9 and 5. And again, we'll give a couple of verses uh, to, to, to prove our point. For the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything. Neither have they any more a reward, for their me- the memory of them is forgotten. We go into the Psalm, Psalm 146, 3 to 4. Put not your trust in princes, nor in the Son of Man, in whom there is no help. His breath goeth forth, he returneth to his earth. In that very day, his thoughts perish. Uh, Isaiah 38, 18. For the grave cannot praise thee, death cannot celebrate thee. They that go down into the pit cannot hope for thy truth. And the most well-known one is Ecclesiastes 9 and 10. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. So these are letting us know that there's no thoughts in the grave. There's no consciousness. It's like Paul said, it's but the twinkling of an eye. It's nothing to fear because to those that die, it'll be a blink. To you and I, it'll be hundreds of years, maybe thousands of years before the Lord would return. But to the dead, it will be the blinking of an eye. It'll be falling asleep and waking up again. I remember uh, when I was 16, I was knocked off a motorbike and broke my leg and different things happened. But the thing that I think back on it was that I was unconscious. And when I came around, there was this girl, this woman, and she said, don't worry, son, I'm a nurse and you're going to be okay, and very comforting voice. Uh, But she told me that I'd been unconscious, I think 15 to 20 minutes. Uh, uh, Obviously, they could still feel a pulse and all, they weren't panicking that way. But that's all I remember, is waking up and hearing that angelic voice uh, reassure me that I was going to be okay. No thought whatsoever. And, you know, church, that's death. There's no thought. The Word of God explicitly tells us there's no thought. There's no wisdom. It's a state of unconsciousness uh, for those who are dead in Christ. Now, some do ask, but surely we'll all go to heaven. 
Well, again, let the word of God speak for itself. John 3, verse 13. No man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that come down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. Then we go to Acts 2. And it says, For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thy on my right hand. Now some have said that because Jesus hadn't come down and paid the price for their sins, that these people couldn't go to heaven. Well, I disagree with that, to be quite honest. We all will enter death. Nowhere does it say that those that are in the New Testament or those that die after Jesus was born and after Jesus was crucified will go to heaven. It doesn't say that. It says the Lord is coming back here. So no man hath ascended up to heaven. And as I say, when you think of all the great men and women of God who did wonderful, great, uh, brave things for the Lord and martyred horrendously, I mean, we talk about the prophets and we admire the prophets. Do you know each and every one of the prophets was hated in his day? Revered, respected, but hated. He was hated because they told that she, he or she was hated because they told the truth and men don't want the truth. Jesus, he was hated because why? He told the truth. And so these men were martyred and the great sacrifices that they made, all that they done for the Lord, surely they would have deserved to get into heaven, but they don't. They are waiting in their graves. They are asleep in the Lord. Now again, some say, okay, well, what about Enoch and what about Elijah? Because they would tell you that they didn't die, that they uh, were taken away or transcended somewhere else. Well, actually, they did die. Hebrews 11 is the well-known chapter. It's referred to as the chapter of the heroes of faith. And they are mentioned in this chapter. But we see a wonderful verse which explains everything to us about them in verse 13. It says, and this is concerning all those mentioned uh, in Hebrews 11, and even it goes on to say all the prophets, so all those that went before. It says they all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them far off, and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. That includes Enoch and that includes Elijah. Yes, they were taken away, but they were taken somewhere else. They weren't taken up to heaven. They were taken somewhere else and they eventually died according to Hebrews 11 and 13. See, church, I believe this all started in the Garden of Eden when Satan told Eve, thou shalt not die. Man wants to believe, and I would love to believe that we are immortal. And the Bible clearly states that we are not immortal. We've seen it, different religions teach immortality, even sadly some churches. But think of the hold that churches would have on their congregations. If their congregations believed that their religious leaders had the power to grant them entry into heaven, into paradise, or else to condemn them to hell. Think of the power the church would have over their people. And we've seen it down through history. Do you know it's only recently, I mean within the past number of years, 
that the Roman Catholic Church has changed its view on babies who died without being christened or without having gone through a confirmation service. They weren't allowed to be buried in a graveyard. They were buried in a little plot. And you can go up and see that plot in West Belfast. And I'm sure they're all over Ireland. Think of the despair of the parents to think that this child was going through purgatory, was going through torture. Think of how much they would pay the church to release them. And parents did this belief, and thankfully they did denounce this doctrine within the past number of years. But think of the despair. You know, the belief that Peter handed the keys onto a succession of Roman Catholic leaders or popes. Think of the worry that people would have. You know, Pope Leo the X commissioned a man called John Tetzel. He was a Dominican monk to travel throughout Germany selling what they called indulgences on behalf of the church. And this, they were trying to raise money to build uh, St. Peter's Church, uh, which now stands in the Vatican. And Tetzel, he declared that as soon as the coins clinked in his money chest, the souls of those for whom the indulgences had been purchased would fly out of purgatory. These indulgences not only bestowed pardon for sins committed already, but they were used to, as, as a license to, uh, for the commission of future transgressions as well. In other words, they believed that they would give so much money for their husband or wife maybe who died and they believed were in purgatory and they threw in some extra money because there's gonna, excuse me, they're gonna sin uh, tomorrow and that would cover their sins. And this is the, the hold that churches had on their congregations. And, and this is the hold that different religions have on their people. This belief that, that, that the, their leaders, their priests, their ministers, their omans, whatever they're called, have this power to release them uh, from the, the, the punishment of hell. And you know something? Uh, you know, my opinion on that is God forgive them. Trying to confuse men for gain. When the Bible, I believe, so clearly points out that we are mortal. We're not immortal. There's a wonderful book. I just started reading it again. And it's called The Conditionless Faith of Our Fathers by Froome. And if you can get hold of that book, read it. It is absolutely brilliant. And it goes into things in a lot more detail than I'm allowed to when I'm preaching here for 30 minutes or so. But it tells us from the Word of God, church, that we one day will die and that death we will rest in our grave until the Lord comes back. That day will be a glorious day and that means that all men will die. People don't want to hear this. I mean, I accept if someone disagrees with me and someone believes you go to heaven, that's your right to believe that and God bless you. You're still a Christian and I'm still a Christian even though I disagree with you. But we should never get to the stage we're speaking to the Galatians. Paul said, am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? You see, we need to let men know today that they will die. And when they die, unless they have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, that's them. They will perish. They will perish. We need to tell men that today. 
We need to tell them that they need to live a life as good as they can, which is pleasing to God, following God's law, following God's word, and serving him. And if they don't, they will head into a lost eternity. And that might be offensive to some people, but church, we need to tell people because people out there believe. I mean, you've been to funerals all, you're all adults and you've been to many funerals. I was just sorting out the order of services I have in my office and I've officiated between last December and this December, I officiated at 13 funerals and I went to other funerals to pass on my condolences. So people die, our friends die, our relatives die. That's not gonna change. But what we want to do is to let them know that they don't immediately transcend into heaven, into glory. It's amazing. You've heard it. I have heard it. Every funeral has been up. Aki's looking down on his nigh, and I'm sure he's happy and everybody turned up. And not looking down on anything. There's no consciousness whatsoever, he or she. They are waiting in their grave till the Lord returns. And again, the important thing, whether you believe you go to heaven or like me, you believe in soul sleep, you need a relationship with the Lord. Without that relationship, you have a lost eternity. People believe that when they die, they become a ghost and they can travel around and they can see their loved ones. You know, that again is Satan's lies. I have friends. In fact, I had a relative, although she's passed away now, but she went to uh, oh, some big center down the town. I can't remember. The, the waterfront, I think it's called, it used to be called. I don't know what it's called now. And this guy came and he could talk to the dead. He claimed he could talk to the dead. And uh, she was there. And like anyone who is missing her husband, she lived for her husband, loved him dearly and lost without him and just wanted some sort of comfort. And this guy, we send one or two things. And, oh, that's, uh, that's my, and let's say his name, because I'm not here mocking her. Say his name is Alan. Oh, that's my Alan. Oh, that's my aunt. And this guy went over these things. And it's a little psychology trick. I'm not going to show you, but it's very easy done. It's called suggestion. And we can talk you into a point where you would believe that I'm actually talking to your loved one. Obviously, it takes a lot of experience and training. You're not talking to your loved one. You're talking to a demon the witch of Endor in the Bible, <clears throat> as Saul was told off by the Lord by, through Samuel for doing it. He went, in fact, he tried to call up Samuel. He wasn't talking to Samuel. He was talking to a demon. And be careful, folks. If you know someone who follows this path and goes to these people, you need to warn them that they are dealing with evil at its worst giving people this false deception that they're talking to their loved one. They are not. Their loved one is in the grave, totally unconscious, not aware of anything. No consciousness of time, no concept of time until the Lord returns. As I've said, church, we don't set out to offend someone, but we've got to tell them the truth. And if people don't like us telling the truth, there's nothing we can do about it. Well, just sorry you're offended but it's the truth. We need to let people know today that without Jesus, you are lost. There's no hope after the grave, but in Christ there is hope because he will return. And in the twinkling of an eye, the, the called of God will rise from their graves. 
and will spend eternity with the Lord. According to Job 19, I think it's 26. Jesus will return to this earth and the dead will rise to meet the Lord in the air. What a glorious hope we have because without Christ, there is no hope. Without Christ and his sacrifice on the cross, there is no hope. There is nothing for us. No matter what your concept of death is, you need that relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's our prayer, if you're watching on the internet, if you're here this morning and haven't established that relationship, you can simply by turning to the Lord and believing in him and seeking forgiveness for your sins. And even if death will take you, it'll not separate you from the love of God. Church, I just look forward so much to that day. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Come and release us from these bodies, these mortal bodies. We will one day put on immortality. We one day will have no more pains. We one day will live in eternity with the Lord. There'll be no more rheumatoid arthritis. Thankfully, there'll be no more plantar fasciitis or whatever they call it. It's actually killing me at the minute. <laughs> no more sickness, church. He's coming back to rule and to reign. That's our hope. That's the joy that we have. Certainly, as the musicians come back, we'll leave it there. Certainly, nobody wants to die. But don't fear death if you're in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because one, you'll know nothing about it. And two, you'll know all about it when the trumpet sounds and the archangel calls and you rise from your grave, from the dust of the ground to meet your Lord and your Savior. What a glorious, glorious day that will be. Let's stand in God's presence. Let's just enter our closing worship. Uh, could I ask the elders to please come forward?